This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to another episode of the No Ceilings Podcast. I'm Tyler Metcalf, joined as always by Tyler Rucker. Rucker, how are we doing today? Tyler Metcalf. It's Tuesday. I've had a chaotic day of being an adult, but that's what happens with life. Just the worst. And what better way to fix that than to talk about some basketball? So how are we doing today, Mr. Metcalf? I have a feeling I'm going to be a little off the rails this one. <laughs> no, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm excited for this one. Last week we did the 2017 uh, kind of redraft and reevaluation and going back through all of that. And, you know, the the listeners widely and frequently requested that we do uh, 2018. Um, so that's what we're here to do today is go back through the 2018 draft and, you know, what's been a hit, what's missed, um, and then do a redraft at the end. Uh, before we jump into that, just some housekeeping notes. Uh, we are going back in time again this week, but next week we will be looking more towards the future um, where we do a U17 FIBA recap. And then the week after that, we'll be diving in and recapping Peach Jam. Um, and then who knows where we'll go. So today, though, we are doing the 2018 redraft. And when I was going back through the draft board and putting the outline together, I started getting a little nervous um, because I there are about 30 dudes in this draft that I could easily talk for 20 minutes a piece on. And so forewarning listener, we may go long on this, but there's a lot that went on in this draft and a lot of fascinating repercussions. So just for a refresher, this was the draft where DeAndre Ayton went first, Marvin Bagley went second. Um, to the Kings. Luka Doncic went third to the Hawks and was traded to the Mavericks, uh, who took Trey Young at five. And then Jaron Jackson went fourth to the Memphis Grizzlies. So, Rucker, uh, last week we talked about how the, the 2017 draft was the first time we kind of both uh, actually started writing publicly about the draft. This was the first year that I actually put a draft guide together. And I had, so, you know, I, I have some, you know, set in stone numbers to actually provide this time. Uh, some are a little more impressive than others, but we'll get to that later. What What is your connection to the 2018 draft? When you think of the 2018 draft, what is, you know, the first thing that comes to mind? So the funny thing about this is, um, someone, a lot of people have been asking us like, Hey, do, do the two, 2018 we want to we want to hear about the 2018 draft and i was like all right yeah like let's get after it and it's it's funny when we started you know researching looking into this and obviously you think of luca you think of deandre and you think of trey young you you keep looking through this 
drafts and it is absurd the amount of talent like how deep it goes there is value everywhere it is fat like going in the second round alone i was just like oh my gosh there's guys everywhere it's awesome so um like metcalf said like i'm sorry for everyone listening this is gonna be a lengthy one but it's for it's for good reason like we have a lot of fun stuff that we could talk about with this with this class but for me personally um you know for everyone that's been with us you kind of probably know this but this was I was overseas in uh, the Czech Republic coaching while a certain international player was dominating and creating some buzz. And that was Luca. And um, it was funny because, you know, while I was overseas doing that, I was having to scout guys overseas in the United States. But um, I remember watching Luca before then, obviously. And then I, I saw Luca there and I watched one of his games. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this dude is a freak. And, um, fun little side story is like I was talking to my boss at the time and we were like all talking about Luca as a prospect and he's like I don't know if he's gonna make it because he's not quick and that was a very long argument that I proceeded (laughs) to get involved with I was like okay wow all right I'm about to get fired um and then I left that job but um my connections with this class is really this was the first one I really started getting serious um I I found some old rankings that were pretty funny to look at um i think that might have been the first time i actually tried to do like quote draft rankings um and it's funny to look back at that but you know ayton um there was a debate about the uh, ayton going to phoenix and luca and the king's drama and it's really fascinating to look back at this class and see some of these names like where they went all over the place but i'm excited to break this down with you metcalf i'm excited to hear about your draft guide rankings now (laughs) Yeah, so I, I had plenty of misses, as I always do, um, and we've talked about it in the past. Um, but the one that I absolutely did not miss on was Luca, who was number one for me, uh, basically throughout and like leagues ahead of everyone else in this draft. Um, this was kind of my first taste of wow, everyone is really overthinking this, and there was a lot of, you know, oh, he's not athletic enough, he's just another doughy European player, like, oh, he won't make it. It's just every cliche that you've ever heard about European players being thrown at him, and none of them really had any basis. Yeah, Luca wasn't the most explosive athlete, but he's freaking huge and dictates the pace and is extraordinary at decelerating and just has, he's just a basketball genius. And that's where the, you know, the skills like that are easily overcome the lack of quote-unquote explosiveness so i i think it's pretty clear that luca has already emerged as head and shoulders the best player from this class um where where were you at with luca entering the draft i loved everything about him and i'm not just saying this because of how good luca's turned i i i watched him the game i watched was I I can't. I'm not even going to pretend like I remember who the, they were playing against, but it was with Drogic. And I remember watching that game. It was just a crazy game down the stretch when they were playing overseas, and um, Drogic was on fire, and he just kept force feeding Luca. And I was like, that tells you how special of a prospect a young guy is when a veteran in the NBA who dominates overseas is on fire in a close game down the stretch. And he's just feeding this young kid, just feeding him the ball. And, and Luca took over and was absolutely outstanding. And, you know, it's funny because 
I felt like going into it, I was like, this guy's got all the tools. It's just a matter of the, what's between the the ears. If he's got the intangibles, if he's got the heart, he's going to be there. And I've talked about this with Corey before, and I joked. I was like, I don't know if we'll ever see a prospect with a better resume going into the draft than Luka Doncic had going into the 2018 draft. He had one of the greatest resumes you'll ever see as a prospect. I mean, it's funny because if you go look at his Wikipedia page, I joked with Metcalf before we recorded, it's one of my favorite pages to ever look at because it literally looks like it's just broken because his career highlights and awards, it's like, EuroLeague MVP, EuroLeague Final Four MVP, all all EuroLeague first team, two-time EuroLeague rising star, EuroLeague all-decade team. Like, And then there's 15 or 16 more, and that's not even including you know his NBA accomplishments. So he was signed to Real Madrid, a five-year contract at 13 years old. That shit does not happen anymore. I mean, it's just, and, and we're going to talk about Aiton. Aiton, I thought, was, people forget how good he was at Arizona. Um, I wish it was a little bit more consistent, and I watched that team very closely because I'm a Wildcats fan, but um, Aiton was still a monster. He's a freak of nature, but, man, Luco was just, Unreal. I'll read you. I'll embarrass myself, Metcalf. This is my analysis on Luca. Me trying to actually write a draft board. I wrote one of the most hyped European prospects to enter the draft since Porzingis. Incredible feel for the game for his age. Dominated elite competition in Europe and has the feel of a seasoned pro. This is funny now. Fit will be important. No shit, Tyler. Are you going <laughs> to allow him to be ball dominant or do you see him as a factor off of the ball? Which, you know, I might pat myself on the back. That's a pretty good head. But, you know, obviously the Dallas Mavericks said, uh, yeah, we're going to give him the ball and let him do whatever he wants. But what about you, Metcalf? Yeah, I just to to touch on uh, the the reading back of old scouting reports, yeah. um, that that made me chuckle because every time I read mine, I just cringe. I'm like, oh god, oh draft cliche after draft cliche. It's like, oh my god, yes, of course, fit matters. Yes, of course, he, the shot is the swing skill. You buffoon. Um, no, but uh, like I, I had Luca as this guy who could be a multi-time All Star and really the focal point of a franchise. Um, I didn't throw the MVP term on you know in the description because you know one of those guys gets to do that every year and usually that's limited to one of about four guys every year who are even in the running but I I think the the best place to start with Luca is the playmaking and how he just dictated the pace and just everything about the game and this is him as a teenager where he's looking off help defenders where he's you know unfazed by doubles and hard hedges where he's getting bumped out to the half court and then moving the secondary defenders despite being under pressure just his level of composure and ball handling and strength floor vision touch on the passes everything he did elevated the game of his teammates by you know leaps and bounds it was just a guy playing at a different speed and I think that's there's this is really important with scouting and evaluating. We've talked about this in the last cycle, but this is why I thought Luca was going to be the guy at the next level is everyone will fascinate about, you know, your athleticism. And that was the the thing with Luca is everyone's like, I don't know if he's quick enough. And I'm like, if you can, you can counter that weakness if you play the game ahead of him. And that's what was so special about Luca. And he was literally a chess player. It was like, yeah, he wasn't 
the quickest. He wasn't a guy that was ever going to win a dunk contest, but Luca played a pass or a move ahead. Like he mm-hmm. made a decision. He made the defense collapse on him to get that angle. That was the next pass away. Like, and that's what you just saw with some of those clips. And, and we've seen that time and time again with how, what makes him special. You can be all over him and he's just getting smothered, but he just needs that tiny window. And, and it's, getting the second line of defense to react just enough. So he makes that pass. Like you, you just showed like he has beautiful reads where you're just like, gosh, this this guy's making reads like this, but that also goes like he's been playing against elite competition since he was so young. He had so much experience. And with that experience builds cockiness in a good way of just being confident and knowing where the ball is going to go, knowing everything that the defense is going to throw at you. And, you know, we've seen on the NBA level. I mean, he's, he's, it's one of those guys where he's on national TV. It's like, Oh, well, there's my evening. I know what I'm watching. <laughs> yeah. And the, the vision and, you know, ability to read the pass and move defenders is yeah. an extraordinary skill. But I think the thing that often gets slept on with passing is just the variety of types of passes guys yes. can make, um, you know, making that quick touch pass is a lot different than a, a bounce pass out of the pick and roll. And which is different than, a touch pass over the top um, to a roller for an alley-oop, like the different levels of pace and accuracy and trajectory that he had to put on his passes. And he was doing that at 16, 17 years old in the world's second toughest league. And it immediately translated. So the fact that, you know, there were questions about, oh, well, is he athletic enough? He's a savant. He understands every inch of the floor, both horizontally and vertically, better than almost anyone who's currently in the league. So I was like, this guy just understands how basketball works. And it was another, you know, lesson. And there are a lot of different aspects to athleticism. And I've really tried to stop just calling guys bad athletes or, oh, he's just not a good athlete because they're, different levels to that you know explosion vertical explosiveness is an aspect of it deceleration strength footwork balance all of those are different types of athleticism or different you know pools that feed into the general label of athleticism and Luca's strength was constantly on display his footwork was his balance was his deceleration his ability to stop on a dime and let the defenders just fly past him it was incredible yeah he's not dunking on guys every you know every other play but he's dictating the pace of the play. He's making the defenders play at his speed, which is something we just rarely ever see from teenagers. You know, I've always said like guys that are the point guards or ball handlers with elite speed. I feel like they're like a Ferrari in open court. I feel like Luca's almost like a Ferrari in like the, the city, like where you just like, he's switched between gears so fast. You can't get up to a hundred, but He's great coming around those corners. He, he's great shifting gears left and right, you know, kind of reacting to the the defense, the traffic, if you want to put it that way. He's just so special at, I know I don't have the speed that everybody else does. I'm not that athlete, but you're going to play my speed. You're going to come down to my level. And if you do that, I'm going to tear you apart. Like I'm going to pick you apart because I know everything you're going to put at me. I have the handles. I have the, quickness to get in and out and I have the playmaking and the vision and that's what has made him so special and that's what is just going to make him a superstar to continue to watch like it's it's basketball porn 
watching Luca sometimes because you're just like, oh my gosh. Like, no offense, sorry, Suns fans. That game seven on the road, you knew right away in like the first minute. Yeah. Like he hit a couple shots and you're like, oh, oh shit. Yeah, so like he, he's <laughs> dialed in. Like I had a son's friend, um, shout out Neem. He literally texted me. He's like, oh, fuck. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, he, he, he ain't losing. <laughs> just like he looks like he has the, the eye of the tiger in this one. But, you know, that's just the type of player he's turned out to be. And, um, man, I mean, it, it, that's also something with evaluating where it's like, I think it's really important that you can get caught up watching something and being like, well, he doesn't have this, but it's like, are you really paying attention to what he does have? Like we always say, like figure out what he can do. Luca could do a shitload of stuff on the basketball court just because he wasn't the LeBron James type of athlete. Doesn't mean we shouldn't be just wowed by his skills. Yeah. And you know, that, that lack of explosiveness all typically leans people towards underrating a prospect scoring ability or scoring projection. And it's crazy that a lot of what Luca did or excelled at in EuroLeague is exactly what he's excelling at now, where he's using that strong frame to get to the rim. That's touch that he shows on his passes to finish at the rim. And that's the step back three where it's like, Oh, okay, this is real legit. And this is, you know, he, he's obviously not going to be JJ Redick or, you know, Steph Curry or Ray Allen from three, but he's more than comfortable consistently hitting that step back. Um, going back through his tape and reviewing for this, something that really stood out to me was how much quicker he played um, with Real Madrid and how much more off ball they kind of used him or, you know, kind of put him in motion to then generate those on ball reps. So w- when you think about him as a scorer, um, now compared to where he was at Real Madrid, are you surprised by how he's evolved or is this kind of the the trajectory that you thought his developmental path would take? You know, uh, uh, it's really interesting. I love, this is why I love you, Metcalf, because that's just a great topic. And um, it was funny because today to get ready for this, like I went back and actually watched the full draft and it got around to Luca's highlights and, um, you know, good friend, Mike Schmitz. Um he was asked to kind of break down Luca. And the first thing he said he's is he was a transition just nightmare. And I was like, that's really interesting because that's not the first thing I think of when it comes to Luca right now with the Mavericks. Like I would think of him now, like my first thought would be just like, Oh, half court demon. Like, mm-hmm. and I'm not saying like Luca's not a threat and transition. I mean, the, the dude's a threat everywhere on the court. The moment he steps up for introductions, but it's just funny because showing those clips, talking about like Real Madrid, they ran him off a bunch of sets. You know, Europe's really, they have some very, very unreal like plays, yeah. systems. Like it's it's absolutely gorgeous. So, you know, having him run off some curls, like clips like that, like it's just funny to look back. I mean, what, what do you think, Metcalf? Do, do you think it almost, you wish it would kind of translate to that? Do you understand why the Mavericks have kind of been in this position to, because now a lot of people just consider him a point guard. like, yeah. And it's just funny because I'm like, well, he's an asterisk. But yes, I understand he's a point guard because he wants the ball in his hands all the time. Yeah, and just re-looking back at those, it, was, it just gave me more faith that, okay, he he has experience playing off ball. It's not that he's never done it. So maybe there is you know, some more of that that we can incorporate. We saw a bit of it with Jalen Brunson this year, but I I do think there is another level for him to really step that up, which, 
you know, we saw it with LeBron when, you know, he went to Miami where, oh, okay, I don't have to do everything all the time. And when I'm not, I can rest. I can recharge the batteries to then expend energy later in games in different areas that I haven't always done. And I think that's a really important kind of transition for him. So obviously the right person has to come in to be able to do that and to convince Luca of, hey, this guy can do some of that. He can do some of this creation while you, you know, obviously I don't want him just standing in the corner or standing above the break. Um, because that becomes a little, it's like, okay, well, you're not providing anything now besides spotting up. Um, but I, I do think there are some different ways that he can be incorporated because he's shown in the past that, yeah, he's done that. Um, and just the way he, he would get out and transition and really push is like, Oh God, that's fun. Like, I want to see that Luca again. I want to see quick Luca again. So it, it was just really, really interesting and something I kind of forgot about his game. Yeah, I mean, and it's no dig at, you know, Jalen Brunson or guys like that, but it, no. it it does bring up the idea of like, okay, what if he gets a, a guy with him in that backcourt that, you know, an athletic wing that he's, or, or just an athletic ball handler that's like, now Luca could play off the ball. Now you're giving him a whole nother wrinkle to his game. And, and I'm not saying he never plays off the ball. I'm just saying the idea of like, okay, that all of a sudden makes things really, really interesting. And you know, I think that's what we're also waiting to see is, is Luca get another guy, get yeah. another weapon that can all of a sudden maybe open up another, you know, Pandora's box when it comes to just the type of versatility that Luca has, because he is a very ball dominant guy right now, but it's like, no shit. You want to give him reason. the ball yeah, yeah, for a good reason. You want him to have the ball in your hand all the time. All right. Well, Andre or leading up to the draft, the Suns hired Igor Kokoshkov which was Luca's international coach. And it seemed like that was going to be the play. Uh, it was a little, it was a, looking back, knowing that they didn't go that direction. Um, it seems like a weird hire, which they rectified or not necessarily rectified. That's a poor choice of word, but um, altered uh, rather soon. And instead of going with Luca, they went with the Arizona Wildcat, uh, DeAndre Ayton, who was a physical marvel um at Arizona um I I had him too on my board that year I thought his offensive upside was immense um I was a little more skeptical of his defense which has been so much better than I ever thought where were you at with Aiton I I was very impressed with Aiton um Watching him every game, he he just made a couple plays that I was like, okay, you're you're going to, and we've talked about this before. Like NBA teams are always going to drool over the players, the bigs, especially in the skill sets that Aiden has. You know, James Wiseman plays three games, goes second. Um and, and Aiden was he was a guy that Phoenix needed. They needed the big guy. They needed someone in the paint to kind of go next to Booker and potentially give them like a, okay, this is another building block for us. I always think that, you know, when it comes down to teams going like, Hey, we can't draft this guy because he plays too much like this guy. And it's like, you're, you're picking first for a reason. First of all, as good as Devin Booker was. Yeah. I would have taken Luca and I'm not just saying that now, but going into that draft, I understood why they were going to take Aiton because it was seven one when he was rolling, he looked like a force. 
Um, and it was a guy that was kind of a bit of a late bloomer. I think he didn't start playing basketball until he was like 13. You saw the outside shot. So I was like, okay, it looks solid. If that's going to become part of his game, like that's another weapon. Um, and when he's rolling, he was nasty. And I'm not just talking about like scoring, like in the interior defensively, when he was fired up and the motor was running, it was like, okay, this looks like a number one pick. I remember watching him. Um, he was going up against Brandon McCoy, who was playing at UNLV, who went later in this draft that I actually liked him um, a good amount. I thought he had some raw tools. But um, I watched that entire game, and, and Aiton was just a beast. Um, he ended up having 28-10 and 10 with three blocks. He was 12 for 23 from the field. Um, and I just was just like, this dude is a machine. Because he had the quickness, but he also had that switch to hit where he was like, I'm, I'm pissed off. I'm dunking on you. Like, I, He had the post work. He had the feet work. I was just like, a lot of tools, checking a lot of boxes. But um, what about you, Metcalf? Yeah, I, mean, I I loved just the offensive profile and what he yeah. seemed like he could become. Um, if you tried to put another or a smaller guy on him, um, he just feasted because uh, you couldn't move him because of how broad his shoulders were, how strong his legs were. You just could, you couldn't front him. You couldn't get him off the block. Um and just his hands were so impressive, his ability to catch above the rim, to catch in traffic. And then some of the the outside shooting, I thought that would translate or develop a lot better than it has. Um, that feels like it's really stagnated or even taken a step back from where it was, which I, I don't love. Um, but he's also been asked to play probably a much more minimized role with the Suns um, as pretty much just a screen and roll operator than I ever anticipated he would be in that number one overall pick obviously that you know his destiny in that realm changed a lot once Chris Paul came in um and just no one feeds big men anymore really what really worried me about the offense though was that that when he went up against guys who were as big or as strong as him he seemed to wilt a little bit and that that fire of I am going to embarrass you when he would go up against a 6'9", 6'10 guy seemed to kind of disappear when you go up against a seven footer. And it's like, oh God, where, where is that, that fire? Where is that, you know, nastiness, that physicality? Like these guys can't stop you. They're just mentally pushing you harder than you're willing to seemingly be pushed. So that, that was my big hesitation with him. And in the NBA, I don't think that's been that big of a deal. Uh, I think I overrated that some. I do think it still pops up every now and then where he just rarely dunks the ball, which is infuriating to me. And I think we saw that a lot in these last playoffs where he's just like going up with these bunny hooks. I'm like, dude, just dunk it. Like the guy who's trying to, you know, front you is six, six, just do that spin move. You have incredible footwork and balance and fluidity. Just do that one, you know, drop left foot drop step and yam it on this guy. So that was frustrating. I thought the defense at Arizona was a disaster too. I thought he was erratic with his positioning, kind of soft. They played that weird two big lineup, which apparently Aiton always viewed himself as a power forward. So I think that may have been a little more catering to him and his preferences. Um, but the way his defense has been in the NBA has been significantly better than anything I anticipated. Yeah. I'm, I, you know, you bring up a lot of good points. Um, 
the one I, I'm trying to run through all of them because I thought the the best point was I thought he was getting ready. Watching him at Arizona as a prospect, I was like, there is a face-up game that is very slept on that yeah. I think is going to develop into something really, really nice. And I felt like there was a year that I was watching him early in the year or like maybe even preseason. And I was like, okay, it looks like he's ready to sh- to to really showcase it, really take that potential. Cause he was also starting to shoot a couple threes and I was like, okay, looks like he's getting a little bit more comfortable. And I think it is just because of the, the system, you know, with Chris Paul coming over, I think it's kind of been vanilla for his role offensively. I still think if he wasn't playing along so many, you know, talented guys that need touches, I still think Aiton would have way mm-hmm. more to show. That being said, I completely agree with everything you said about your worries with him as a prospect. Like, it was the one thing that kept me keep going back towards Luca because I was like, Luca's Luca's an asshole in a good yeah. way on the court. Like every time you watched him fired up, you're like, oh boy, okay, this guy's going to bring it no matter what. Like you, you didn't doubt that a part of his game. Aiton, it just sometimes it was what side of the bed he woke up on. Like you could tell pretty early on, like, Oh boy, he looks a little rattled. And then all of a sudden he'd go on the stretch. Like he ended the last seven games at Arizona. He had 22 and 14 was almost two blocks a game, 63% from the field. Like when Aiton was cooking in college, he was cooking. Like he was taking over. He was nasty. He was dunking on people. But then you also had that one game where it was like, he didn't look like he has it. He's just getting bossed around. Like he had a couple of games where he had like nine points and, you know, I know obviously in college you have games where, you know, you're blowing out people. You might not just put up the numbers, but there was just clear instances where it was like the defense wasn't pretty in college. So I was like, is he just, is he getting the superstar treatment where he's like, oh, I'll turn it on when I want to turn it on. Or, you know, I'm, I'm doing the work offensively. I can kind of rest, but he's taken serious strides. I still think he's being underrated with how much better he's got as a defender and, you know, I thought they should have paid him before they just paid him. I'm happy he's re-signed with the Suns. I wish they kind of handled it differently, but I understand the business. And I still think Aiton's a fantastic asset. I think he's turned out to be a heck of a player. But we're always going to compare him with the guy that went after him. So, or a couple picks after him. Yeah, and while, while I didn't necessarily agree with the Aiton pick at one, I I understood it. Yes. What I didn't understand was the second overall pick by the infamous Sacramento Kings. Sorry, Nick. Uh, Marvin Bagley, who went second overall to the Kings. Um, I was intrigued by Bagley. I, I had him six that year. But what I didn't really remember about Bagley was that he was almost exclusively a play finisher on offense. And I thought there was some more creation there. I was a little skeptical with the outside shot. Um, it was okay when he was left open, like he was right there, but so many of his buckets were mostly ducking in from, you know, the dunker spot or cutting or rolling. Um, he was a monster on the offensive glass and that's really where he made his living. But so many of his scoring opportunities were through contact and without much space. So where were you at with Bagley? I, this was my first draft cycle of learning a valuable lesson for every evaluator out there. Go with your gut. And I did not go with my gut. I, I, I was very, uh, very cold on him just because I was, I, I bought the, 
the buzz late in the draft cycle. I was like, okay, like he he's tall. He rebounds the crap out of the ball. He's really, really tough around the basket. Like he's going to figure it out. I was like, the offense is going to come around. Cause I, as we're showing on tape right now, like his second and third jumps just kept getting me like, okay, he's going to be a problem around the basket. Like if you get him the ball in the post or anywhere in the paint, he's going to figure it out. Like yep. he's going to have some touch around the basket. And then I was like, the shot will come around. Like, I was just convinced. I just kept telling myself, like, no, like, don't put, have him so much lower. He should be up there. Looking back now, I'm like, eh. And, and he got paid this offseason. I still think there's some some upside with him with the Pistons. I'm excited to kind of see what he does there. It could be a really nice piece. But um, it was just fascinating going into the draft because there's a guy we're going to talk about later that I thought – if Sacramento didn't go Luca, that I, I thought it, he would have made more sense at two. And I know that might be a little hot take to say now, but, um, you know, Bagley was just interesting because I, I really thought he'll figure it out. But it's also like the fit idea we're talking about. Like, mm-hmm. if he doesn't go to Sacramento, no offense. Kings fans, I love you. Keegan Murray, it's all worth it. Like, if he doesn't go to Sacramento, does Bagley figure it out if he goes somewhere else and is held accountable for, you know, you got to put time in, you got to, he's surrounded by maybe better like presence. No offense again, Kings fans, Keegan Murray, but I'm just saying, that's what we always talk about. Fits important. He goes to a tough Sacramento Kings team that just needed him to be a superstar. And they had Aiton going one and Luca all of a sudden hits the ground running and looks unbelievable and Trey Young and all these guys. And it's like, Bagley, what's going on? So um, I don't know. That That's just kind of where I was at. But yeah, you, you sound like you were higher on him than I was. And I even had him third, but I'm not counting this year. My rankings were gross. Yeah. And I, I, I thought there was a little more upside in like what he could do, like attacking from the perimeter, obviously not as a primary creator or anything like that, but just, I thought the shot could eventually get to a place where it was good enough that would force long closeouts. And then when you would get him at that size and athleticism attacking downhill, I thought there would be enough there. Um, and, you know, I do think it is important to point out that there, he was starting to take some strides in the right direction and is, I think it was his second year before, yes. and then he got yes. hurt and missed yes. 80% of the season and he's had some nagging injuries, but as that just pure play finisher, I think that Detroit could be the best landing spot for him because it's going to be a young team with basically no expectations. And he's going to be playing with Cade Cunningham, who has a lot of Luca in his game. Uh, I'm not saying he's Luca there. There's just some similar styles there, people. So take a breath. And, you know, playing off of uh, Jaden Ivey, who has immense gravity and ability to get to the rim and create those dump-off passes. So if he can just kind of find ways to feast out of the pick-and-roll or um, ducking in from the dunker spot or cutting or running in transition, you know, I, I do think that there is a role and a path for him to still earning meaningful minutes. Uh, my biggest issue with him though was the defense which i thought was brutal and at that size you can't just be you know a huge hugely negative defender but it was so much outweighed by the offensive production um you know i just more fun with numbers here uh he was one of eight players since 2008 um that's the last 
clarification on the year um, that I will be doing on this episode, uh, who had a usage rate of at least 25, effective field goal percentage of at least 60, defensive rebounding rate of at least 20, um, at least 60% from two, 39% from three, and at least 53 point attempts. The other players are Keegan Murray, Doug McDermott, Bagley, Derek Williams, David Roddy, Obi Toppin, Markeith Morris, and Kevin O'Banner, his last year at Oral Roberts. So those are essentially all NBA guys, like not all NBA, but the, the group is yes. NBA players. Yes. Um, so, you know, I, I, he was really, really productive and really effective and he reclassified up a year. So it, it was a case of high school pedigree, cool athleticism and ball handling from a position that we didn't normally see. Um, and you know, the, the fun motor and, interior finishing just kind of outweighed what you know were some pretty glaring red flags even at the time it's it's important to also remember he he was starting to take some serious strides the second year um then he got hurt and then he comes back and i've heard different stories and i've heard some some stories behind the scenes but you know they had. I believe they had Jaeger as the head coach at the time, and the front office wanted Jaeger to play Bagley and develop him. Mm-hmm. And Jaeger was like, "I'm gonna win. Like if he's not gonna do what I want him to do, I'm gonna win. Like I'm gonna play the guys that can help us win." They they butted heads, and that's part of the whole experience Bagley had. I mean, we're talking about the nightmare first year. The second year, he looks like he's going to take strides, gets hurt. That's already two years. And then they butt heads third year. It was kind of a disaster. And then now he's ended up in a great spot. And this is a perfect fit for him because they are on the rise. They have talent. They have everybody that's been right around that high draft pick that's ready to go to war. So he's going to be held accountable. And Detroit rewarded him this offseason. They gave him a great extension, and I'm really excited to watch what Bagley can do this upcoming year because this is a rare opportunity for guys like this where it's like, okay, you yeah. might have, you had a little bit of a rough start to your career. Not everyone hits it at the same stride, but you can get rolling. You know, Jermaine O'Neal was a guy I've written about before. Like, he got drafted early with Portland, never found his groove, got traded to Indiana, absolutely blossomed, turned into an all-star. You never know with Bagley. This could be the perfect thing for him. Yeah, and someone else who has kind of seemingly found their perfect fit, and he did that on draft night, was Jaron Jackson Jr., who went fourth overall to the Memphis Grizzlies. Um, And, you know, he was a bit of a wild card or home run swing because he kind of had some inconsistent minutes and role at Michigan State. Um, I loved the defensive versatility and floor spacing that he provided. Um, I had him third that year. My concerns were about the fouling, which has still plagued him. Um, And then just kind of other aspects that weren't really there. There was just things that he was never really going to be asked to do, but he shot 39% from three on 96 attempts at an effective field goal rate or percentage of 59 and a block rate of 14. He's the only player since 2008 to hit those marks. It just shows the absurd vers- two-way versatility that he had at his size. So where, where were you at with Jaron Jackson? Jr.? He was the guy, the more I watched, the more I kept telling myself, like, grow some balls and put him ahead of Bagley. Because I, this is who I was talking about earlier. I was like, okay, if Sacramento wasn't going to take, you know, Luca, 
which mm-hmm. shout out Vlade. Um, if they weren't going to take him, I was like, then take Jackson. I was like, this dude has, I was like, if some team is just patient with him, he is going to be a freak. Cause every time I watched him, I was like, he's just going to need someone to just be patient. He just needs reps. He just needs to keep playing. Cause I was like, the defensive tools, the athleticism, the length. I mean, if you're watching on YouTube with us, he's been dunking on every single person in this clip <laughs> or blocking their shots. And then he was stepping out, hitting the three ball. I thought it looked good. I just thought a lot of stuff he was showing. I was like, boy, this is something. Like, you can't teach some of these defensive instincts. It's it's coming over on the help and making, you know, weak side blocks. It's just digging, collapsing right there. We see for the block up top. I really like Jaron Jackson and, and it, the thing you know, is about him that I'm still, I still love his game at the NBA level. He just yeah. like, it seems every time he's getting cooking or starting to look good, he gets hurt. And I'm like the damn knee injuries. I want to fight whoever <laughs> invented the ACL tear. Okay. That's bad jokes, but no, I mean, it's just injuries suck and I want yeah. him to stay healthy because I love his potential. Um, you know, early on with Memphis, I was just like, man, this dude is going to be so nasty. And now he just, you know, it's like me playing pickup. I just foul everyone. But <laughs> um, someone needs to tell him he doesn't have the summer league foul out count. Like he he doesn't have 10 fouls. You know, he's only got, you know. But um, I really like the Metcalf. This is one of those guys that I is, you know, like I said before, is my first year of the cycle kind of taking it real serious and trying to make rankings and every time i watched jaron jackson i was like this dude could be so so damn good if someone just doesn't rush the process just trust it and just keep building blocks with that development each year and i still really like him i just wish he'd stop fouling you know He's fouled us twice since we've been talking about him. <laughs> yeah, and the, 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 that that's the big thing. It, he just he hasn't been able to stay healthy, but when he has, he's been incredible, and he hasn't been able to stay out of foul trouble. Um, but when he has, he's been incredible. And I, I don't have the the splits um, right now. You know, kudos to my awesome research here. Um, what do you but need? I, 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 I got you. What do you need? No, do just need? the the his his foul rate when he was this like last two years when he was playing center versus when he was playing power forward oh i'm not i'm not um, doing that no blood yeah no the, listeners can look it up but it, it, it's night and day where you know when steven adams or another center was on the floor with him and he's not bruising for every rebound or being the primary rim protector but he can be that weak side disruptor that's where you know, that's how he's been able to stay out of foul trouble. So hopefully as he continues to get stronger and hopefully, um, you know, the, this foot injury doesn't keep him out too long or derail too much of his um, conditioning this season, hopefully he can come back a little cleaner with the defensive fundamentals and stuff because the raw tools on both ends of the floor, they were really impressive and really intriguing at Michigan State and they've only improved year by year. Yeah, I mean, his rookie year in the NBA, he averaged 13.8, 4.7 rebounds, 1.4 blocks in 26 minutes a game while shooting 50.6, 35.9 from three, 76.6 from the free throw line. His second year, he jumps up to 17.4 points, 4.6 rebounds, 1.6 blocks, 46% from the field, almost 40% from three. I mean... And then he gets hurt the third year. They only plays 11 games. Or I think he might have returned 
late. I'm sorry, Gr- Grizzlies fans, if I kind of sped that up. But my point is, like, last year, I feel like he still needs to get back to, like, being more consistent as a three-point shooter. But he's he averaged 16, almost 16-6, and he had 2.3 blocks a game last year. So um, if he just stays on the court and gets out of foul trouble, like, he's got the tools to still be a really damn good piece. And, and you know, obviously I was annoyed seeing that he – had to have another surgery, but hopefully that's just a more of a cleanup one. And I, I've seen that he's been positive, like, Oh, legs good. So yeah. um, we'll see. But I, I, you know, I hate the surgery, the off season surgery tweet from Shams and Woj, I feel like should be outlawed. Like we should just get them all at once and be like, Oh, okay. Did he make the list? Yeah. Like if there's just a list of 10 guys that had an operation and you're just like, everyone has to find out at the same time. I hate the one out of nowhere where you're like, Oh dang it. Yeah. Summer's ruined. Yeah. Uh, and the, the year that he stops fouling is going to be the year that he makes an all NBA defensive team um, because he's that good. And he's that versatile where if he stops taking himself out of games, he has the tools and he's shown the production where he he will be on some of these all NBA teams if he can just clean it up. Um, someone who is going to probably make a couple all NBA teams uh, for very different reasons is Trey Young, who was just an obscene amount of fun at Oklahoma yes. his freshman year. He was the first freshman ever to lead the country in both points and assists. Um, that year at Oklahoma, I guess he had the second highest usage uh, since 2008 at 38.4. And he was only behind Jordan Washington of Iona, who had 38.5. Um, and his assist rate of 48.3 was the sixth highest uh, since 2008 as well. And people forget that ESPN would run trackers of his stats while they were airing other games. It was I was so proud when you sent me the outline. I don't mean to cut you off, but it was like, I was so proud you mentioned it. It was the most absurd thing I've ever seen ESPN. It it would be like the second, no, it would be like two minutes into the game and Trey Young would hit a shot and it'd be like the Trey Young tracker would like pop up and it'd be like one for three from the field, two points. And you're like, you got to be kidding me. You guys have just a tracker for him that updates every It was unreal. So go ahead, Metcalf. I'm sorry about that. No, I, it was just something that we really hadn't seen. I mean, we, we had gotten a taste of it with Steph Curry, but he was at Davidson and they were never on TV until the tournament. Um, and it was just like, who is this tiny dude whose hair is thinning and is just doing whatever he wants on the court? Like, this dude should not be dominating basketball games like this. And that Oklahoma team was not good. They were rough. Um, and he was just incredible. Just the absurd pull-ups, the absurd playmaking, delivering passes from different angles. Um, it's it's all stuff that has translated almost immediately to the NBA and it has no business of translating. It, that team was, you were very polite with talking about how good that Oklahoma <laughs> team was. They were, they were very brutal to watch. Um, I was a little skeptical on him coming in and it was, th- I think it was just kind of like the shot selection still worried me because it wasn't mm-hmm. like, um, 
I'm trying not to be like a my time frame's always just so messed up. But like, was this this was when Steph was still going ballistic, right? Or started going ballistic, right? Yeah. Okay, so Steph's thing was like, I always felt like Steph was at least open or like was heating up to. Trey's shot selection was like different where it was like, I feel like he would get cut off and then just like turn around. Like we just showed on that clip against uh, Kansas. Like he would, he would have his momentum going backwards and just turn around after he gets stopped and be like, okay, sh- I'll just shoot it. And it's like, you're 10 feet beyond the arc. And the problem was he would make it. And I was like, well, what am I bitching about? If he's making right. them like, and he's doing it all the time. He averaged 27.4 points, 3.9 rebounds, 8.7 assists, 1.7 steals, shooting splits of 42, 36, 86. Like, I watched that draft again today, and they put up his numbers and Steph's numbers in college, and I was just like, my gosh. Like, the, the dude just went on absolute tear. Um, for as I was horrified of his on-ball defense, but every time I was questioning Trey Young as a prospect – I'd watch him as a passer and I'd be like, yeah. as good as a scorer as he is, he does not get enough attention for his playmaking ability. And everyone out there would be like, what are you talking about? He was a great playmaker. I'm not saying he wasn't. I think he was a sensational playmaker. I yeah. think he deserved way more credit for how good of a passer with that team, averaging almost 10 assists a game. I mean, he threw guys open. Like, oh, I, yeah. he was. And I give my, that's why I ended up moving him back up that year was because every time I watched him, I was like, fuck it. No one cares about defense anymore in this NBA. Let's just give him, uh, let's give him an elite playmaker who can shoot from, you know, another zip code. And, and um, he's turned out to be awesome. I love watching Trey. I need him back in the playoffs because I need villain Trey Young back in the playoffs. Yeah. So I, th- this was, um, he he was one of the guys where I kind of let outside influence alter kind of my, my ranking of him where I, I still ended up with him at ninth. Uh, but I, I was worried about the size. I was worried about the defense. I didn't think, or I thought both of those would be massive hurdles for him in the NBA. And, you know, he, he's not a good defender, whatever. He's an obscene offensive talent. And I also worried more than I should have about, you know, the ball security and the turnovers. And that was my failure to, really fully recognize the situation and types of passes and the different things that he had to do for that team to even be competitive. Um, So, you know, now when I bitch about people being like, Oh, well, Kate Cunningham's now a good passer because of his assist to turnover ratio, or, you know, Johnny Davis can't pass because of his assist to turnover ratio. You know, it's, I look back, it's like, okay, well, I kind of did a similar thing with Trey Young because I was like, well, he turns the ball over a lot. And it's like, okay, well, dumbass, he has the ball all the fucking time. He has to do everything for this team. So, yeah, there are going to be some turnovers in there because he has to do some ridiculous shit that no one else in the country is asked to do. Um, so, you know, that, that that was one of my going back through this where I was like, kind of missed there. But he was just so much fun and something going back through some of the film that I realized that Oklahoma did with him a lot was they ran him off ball a lot and it wasn't this okay Trey you're this heliocentric you're gonna bring the ball up and just run pick and roll and you know whatever happens happens it was no we're gonna run sets and we're gonna put you in motion and run you off screens to then create on ball opportunities so 
the the big gripe with Trey in the NBA, besides the defense, has been that he's too on ball dominant and that he's that he needs to do more off ball. And going back through some of that tape really gave me a lot more hope that that's something that he can, you know, pivot back into, especially with DeJounte Murray coming in. And I, I do think that there are some really cool avenues for the Hawks offense to go down. Yeah, I mean, watching him with the ball in his hands. I mean, you look back at some of these numbers, like John Morant was still one of the most, yeah, just his college film, his playmaking ability, like how he, he literally did throw guys open all the time. And he, you know, he averaged 24 and a half and 10 assists a game as a sophomore at Murray state. He had a usage percentage of 33.3 that year and assist percentage of 51.8 which is like holy crap 51.8 trey had a assist percentage of 48.6 so i mean that just goes to show you how ridiculous he was and you know atlanta and the knicks last year i thought were two teams that to the prior year all of a sudden got a jolt of you know success and I was going into last season and I was like, I'm going to be interested to watch those teams because now everyone knows they're coming. Like now everyone, they're not going to sneak up on anyone. So I wouldn't be shocked if they take a step back because Atlanta goes from out of nowhere to Eastern Conference appearance. And then, yeah, he took a step back last year. I think Trey is going to be on the warpath this year. I'm excited to watch that Atlanta team, especially next to Murray. I don't want to say his first name anymore because now Hawks <laughs> fans will come after me. Um but yeah, I, I'm like you, Metcalf. I'll be interested to see, especially him playing against, playing next to Murray. Like we'll, we'll see if that brings out his effectiveness again, like the off-ball role you're talking about. Um, but he was a fun prospect at Oklahoma. It was just one of those guys that I feel like you you get bored of evaluating and be like, eh, f- screw <laughs> it. I'll throw on Trey Young film and make my night good, you know? Exactly. Um, well, so that, that kind of rounds out the top – um, I, I want to dive into some guys who, based on their draft slot, were seemingly underrated. Um, huh. And the, the the one that I, I I have to start with is Mikael Bridges, who yes. I absolutely adored. He went um, tenth to his hometown 76ers, who immediately traded him to the Suns uh, for Zaire Smith, and that hasn't aged well. Um, even though I, Zaire had some weird like nut allergy reaction that essentially ruined his NBA career. Uh, there are better stories on that, that you can go look up though. I had Mikhail Bridges fourth um, in that draft. I adored everything he did on the basketball court. Um, I thought he was a perfect player for what the seven, that 76ers team needed uh, his three and D ability. Um, you know, since, 2008 he's one of three players to have an effective field goal rate of over 60 a block rate of at least 3.5 a steal rate of at least 2.5 a three-point percentage of at least 39 and at least three uh or at least 100 three-point attempts one of those players was gordon hayward as a freshman uh the other two were mikhail bridges in his sophomore and junior seasons he was really fucking good and i just that 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 oh, has been yeah. one of my proudest evaluations. Show me all the Bridges film we can get our hands of. Uh, this was one of my favorite films 
I've ever evaluated, like one of my favorite prospects I've ever evaluated, just the entire process of like watching every single aspect. I just, I was drunk, drunk in love, literally Beyonce shout out. I, I've, I come around on some of these prospects and when a guy jumps off like this, I'm like big, big circle, like just circle the name, bold it, whatever you want to do. And, and watching bridges at Villanova with that system with what Jay Wright was trying to implement and, and how he played the game, how he impacted every aspect, every level. I was like this. I even wrote it down. I have my old report. I said, this is one of my safest picks in the lottery. And I went into that draft. I looked at it and I said, everyone's going to overthink it because he's going to be the older guy. He's going to be the, well, he might not be the highest upside, but I said, yeah, but he might play in the league for 15 years. He might be an all defensive team guy. He might be the piece that gets you to a potential NBA championship. It, it, It was just hilarious watching that draft and every pick that went by, I was like, what is yep. the deal? I was like, well, why? Like, why? Why does everyone overthink this? Because this guy had all the intangibles. I was like, okay, if he slips that far, does he just have the worst background ever? And I was like, I already know the answer to that. So no, it's not. <laughs> and, and him getting drafted by the Sixers, and then like the mom worked there, and then they trade him. And it was I like remember press conference too. It was like one of the biggest. Like what? the hell are you guys doing like why and it was just like oh and i remember as a Celtics fan watching that and they took bridges and i went i have to deal with this asshole for 10 years now like he's gonna be just giving the celtics fits and then they traded him away and i was like yes yes (laughs) and then um i just don't get it yeah bridges i'm not making this up i promise bridges scotty barnes halliburton and Keegan Murray have been four of my favorite films I've ever watched because it's just Terminator vibes. They just go to work. They punch the clock every day. They make an impact all over the place. They could be having a tough day shooting the ball. doesn't matter. They're going to lock down and, and make an impact anywhere else. And I think those guys get drafted too late. And, you know, shout out to the Kings. I think they finally put the put the foot down and said, screw this. We don't care about the, all the superstar upsides. We're taking Keegan fucking Murray. But Bridges was just outstanding, Metcalf. I could talk about him for for five hours. I, I just loved him. Uh, it was like the most pleasant film watching sessions of all time was watching him at Nova. Yeah, and, and, and that no, that Nova team was just like historically good, and their mm-hmm. their run through the tournament it wasn't close. They just ran no. through everyone. They beat Michigan by twenty points plus in the final, and just go, two minutes into that game just as a Michigan fan, I was like, Oh, this is going to not be a fun watch. And I do, but you know, at, at least they, they ripped my heart out immediately. And I was just able to be like, Oh, well, okay. I guess Dante DiVincenzo is going to drop 40 tonight. So that, that is what it is. Um, but someone who, you know, well, obviously we, we both love Mikhail and I think he's more of that elite, third starter on a contender type player, uh, someone who has more of that number one option on a contender is uh, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who went 11th. I had him 15th. He was a really cool story and not your typical Kentucky recruit because he 
wasn't their typical five-star. He came off the bench at the start of the year and really earned his minutes throughout the year and immediately, or not immediately, obviously, but quickly showed how dominant he could be. And it's fascinating because he's always one of the ones where people talk about their misses. He's always one of the the first answers. So where were you at with Shea and, you know, just ranking wise, what do you think we missed on? What, why did he not go sooner? Hello, my name is Tyler Rucker and I'm one of those that missed on Shea. No, um, I, you know, it's funny is I'm looking at these rankings and I literally had him 12th and I swear I have a different ranking somewhere else that I, I had him way lower. So I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to call this as a, as a bad list or something happened here. I don't know. Um, but I swear I thought I had him in like the twenties. He's one of my biggest misses. Um, I, I was just, I watched him and I said, this is going to be a really good guard. I don't see the star power. I said, this is going to be a guy that plays 12 years in the league. He's going to be a really solid piece. He's probably going to get some, some really nice contracts over this career. And I was just like, I don't know if I see, that next power. And it's unbelievable. Now, it is unbelievable watching this film right now. And I'm like, what was I drinking? I, like, what in the world was I doing? Like, cause he's shifty. He had good size. I still, I've talked about this. I think with Corey before, I think I was just convinced. Like he was a two. I, I was like, I don't know if he's going to be an NBA one. I think he's like a six, six, two. And then, I mean, I, I just feel dumber the more I'm talking right now. Yeah. So, no, I mean, he's turned out to be absolutely – I'm an absolute humongous SGA fan. I think he's turned into be an absolute star. I love him with Thunder. I'm very excited to watch that team this year, Thunder Up, for all the OKC fans. Um, what was it for you, Metcalf? Like, what was it that you were just like, I get it? I, you know, like, what did you have any hesitations, or were you just like, no, this guy is going to be a monster? No, and I, I had him at 15, so I, I had some questions with him. I, I didn't fully trust the shot, um, and he shot, what was it, uh, like 40.4%, but only on 57 attempts. It was a really slow release, um, just a really kind of set shot that, looking back on it, um, it, lo- it kind of looked Dyson Daniels-esque, honestly, and over the years, Shea has really sped up that release and become much quicker and more decisive shooting off the dribble. So I think that was a huge development in his game. Um, and then I just, I I, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know why I didn't buy in more because I, I think I really underrated the rim pressure that he generated. Um, his His footwork, his ball handling, his composure, it was all so impressive. And now seeing him being one of the most effective drivers in the NBA, it's like, yeah, and he showed it there. It's like the, these guys so frequently are trying to show us what they can do, and we just have to be willing to actually see it. I mean, he at Kentucky averaged 14, 4, and 5 with 1.6 steals a game and shooting splits of 48, 40, 81. Not sure what Tyler Rucker was thinking that year. Like, and I guess I had, I swear I had him lower. I guess I had him 12th, but um, I didn't feel good about it. If yeah. I had him 12th, I got peer pressured at the end and said, shit, I can't have this guy look. I was just like, I don't know. I don't know about Shea. And watching him in the NBA, I'm like, my 
goodness, like this dude could play. So I'm always going to say it was one of my misses because yeah. looking at him now, I went, why the hell didn't I have him in the top 10? Like well, I'm, I'm still pissed off in my rankings and I'm looking at some of the names I had ahead and what was I thinking? You know, so, um, but Hey, um, that's, that's how it goes. That's why we do it. That's why we work to get better. If I watch Shea right now as a prospect, you guys would, you guys would have to, put a straight jacket on me. I'd be like, Oh my goodness, this dude, I'm already telling guys that I love in 2023 that I'm about to go crazy for. And you guys are like, calm down Rucker. We couldn't get you to talk about the draft last <laughs> year, this time of the year. Uh, what else you got Metcalf? Who else right, do you want uh, to talk about? Yeah, I, I think, um, I'm kind of so much with this class. Uh, t- two guys. We're, I really want. I don't care. We're going yeah. long. We're not rushing this one. I'm sorry for everyone listening. That's like, you're driving. You're like, man, can you guys just finish up? No. We have to make it a two-parter. This is a really deep class. Like everyone yeah. wants to talk about this. So well, one guy who I think has really, really outperformed where he was drafted is Robert Williams, who went twenty-seventh. <laughs> yeah, baby, let's get some time, Lord. Let's see Celtics. what I did there. Let's not rush this. All right, um, this turned into a three-hour podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so I yes. love Robert Williams coming out of Texas A and M. Um, I, I had him. Well, and when I say loved, I mean, I still had him outside the lottery at 16th, but I thought he was just an athletic freak. Um, His rim running, his rim protection was absurd. And then I thought he had a lot of really fascinating passing flashes in his game that was like, oh, okay, this guy has a better understanding of the floor than most, you know, rim athletic rim runners get credit for. So where were you at with Williams? According to the lost files, that's what I'm going to start calling this big board, this phantom big board. Apparently I put together, I must've just been hammered when I put this together. But anyways, um, maybe I should just do that all the time. I had Robert Williams 13th. Um, look at you doctoring old files to, to make yourself I, no, I swear, <laughs> I swear I'm not, I, I could say so many jokes right now. No, I, I'm not going to, I swear I did it because I'm still looking at these, some of these names. Like I, have a pretty rough stretch coming up. So um, we're going to end it with this one. <laughs> yeah. um, I loved him. He was one of those guys, like the, the passing was just something that always kept coming. Like I was like, okay, we've talked about, me and you have talked about this before, like the athletic big, we always get nervous about. Mm-hmm. But it was like, his was just the dominant defensive shot blocking potential and like the advanced reads. And then you saw the playmaking sprinkled into that and you're yeah. like, well, okay, there might be a little bit more here that we're not thinking of. And I remember the draft day, he kept falling and I was like, this is going to be the damn medicals, isn't it? And I think um, he kept slipping, he kept slipping. And as a Celtics fan, you know, I'm still passionate, diehard, like at this time rooting for the Celtics and I remember I was like, oh my gosh, we need Robert Williams so bad. And I'm like screaming at the TV each pick. I'm like, just take him, just take him. Please keep falling. And uh, he ends up going there. And funniest story for people that don't remember, he, I think he missed his first introduction, like meeting, like conference call. Yeah. Because he like missed the plane or missed, it was hilarious. So like, that's why they kind of give him the time lord jokes also. But um, no, I mean, I, I really, really liked him. I thought he was a talent that should have gone way earlier, but that's why the backgrounds and and the intel is so important. And Metcalf, I'm not just saying this as I watch him all the time. He's so damn good. 
I mean, he and people were starting to talk about him this year about like, oh, look at the impact. I'm like, no, he's been doing this. We just need him to stay healthy. It's the class. What we were talking about with Jaron Jackson earlier, like when he's healthy, he is a monster. And, um, you know, I, I still think he was like 30% probably in the finals or yeah. in the playoffs. And, and he was still one of their best players. And he's still, he, when he was rolling, it was like, oh boy, okay. That's how good he was. So I'm excited for another year of his development. And I still think he's just scratching the surface. And that's why we love the draft. You get value everywhere. You 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 trust your board and you let it fall to you. And, and I love Time Lord. I love Robert Williams. I still love that. Yeah, and, and someone else who has really shown that they uh, have provided an immense amount of value, um, despite being taken later, is Jalen Brunson, who went 33rd. I was lower on Brunson. I had him at 34th. Um, I just didn't see the lack of size, the lack of athleticism, really being enough for him to be more than a backup point guard. Turns out I was wrong, as he uh, runs to the bank with $100 million. So... Where, where were you at with Brunson? Um, is this what you expected? Is Have you been really surprised by anything with him? I just thought it was going to be another guy that really could play that needed to go to the right place. And I loved him watching his film. And then um, I felt like it got to a point early on in his career. I was like, okay, just let him run wild. And then now every year I watch him is like, he keeps taking those strides where I was like, okay, I was expecting this. Cause he was fun to watch in college. He was just solid, great collegiate point yeah. guard that understood what he, his role was and what he was supposed to do. And then um, now like, I'm really pumped to see what he can do with the Knicks just because I've, you saw when Luca went down for a little stretch last year, um, he really started putting up some numbers, like kind of carrying the Mavs and, and keeping them afloat for a little bit. And then Luca came back. He was still putting up some really good numbers. So I'm excited to see what he can do as being the guy. Like now he is the franchise point guard. And, and I hope it works out because I'll be so tired of if people just jump on him right away. I'll be like, gosh, gosh, don't run a great player out. You know, I love Brunson. But um, interesting. You're a little lower on him. I, I don't think I had him as like a early first round guy at all. I'm not going to, you know. Right. Try to lie about that one, but um, I definitely those are those are the second round guys you evaluate that you're like, if he goes to the right place and he, he's got a shot, he's got a real shot, and um, I still loved him as a college player, but it's also like it took some time for him to find his groove. Now he just got paid. It's pretty good, pretty good draft pick. Yeah, yeah, it's it's been really impressive, and you know when I just like look at some of the weaknesses I had for him, it was all explosiveness based it was kind of the similar thing that people knocked luca for um and then he was an older point guard so was this just a case of people overreacting to age and um lack of maybe gaudy numbers because he was just this stabilizing presence and connector on both ends of the floor for that villanova team that just ran through the entire tournament yeah, I mean, you know, he he really was just kind of, I don't want to say that he was a glue guy, but it was almost like that with that team. Yeah. It was just they needed the the pieces it's, to the puzzle. It's hilarious that you're calling the national player of the year a glue guy. I know, but <laughs> it, it's like you don't think of Brunson. I mean, Mikael Bridges should have been the national player of the year just for what it's worth. 
and, and I'm not insulting them, but it's not like I think of that team in my first knack is like, oh, Brunson carried that team. And he was such a good college player, but right. Um I just think he went to a great situation in the pros where like he would could almost kind of mimic that role. Yeah. And um I don't know. It, it, I swear, like, not. I got to look something up, Metcalf. So go ahead. Go on a rant. Talk about <laughs> it. Talk about how wrong I am. No. Um, so, but to, I, like, I'm just looking at, like, my old scouting report of him. And it's all the strengths are the intangible stuff that I always love, where it's high basketball IQ, uh, really good decision maker, good passer, good shooting. And it's like, why did I have this guy so low? And it's like, you know, I, I just fell into the trap of, Oh, this is an undersized older point guard. And yes, a lot of the time those guys don't necessarily pan out, but I think that type of player staying longer in college and especially at, and in a system like Villanova's does wonders for them because it, it allows them to learn how to overcome those physical deficiencies and learn how to better utilize their strength versus their lack of speed and, their ability to manipulate angles and how to dictate pace and move defenders and develop those, you know, kind of tertiary skills that aren't always fully on display, but help players, you know, ascend to that next level of being an NBA guy or being a starter or being, you know, a hundred million dollar player. I'm going to get ripped apart for that brunson line earlier so i'll just go ahead and try to defend myself i was not trying to say that he wasn't this unbelievable collegiate player but i'm just saying the moment you think of that team you're not thinking like oh like i did not think brunson averaged 18.9 points 3.1 rebounds 4.6 assists shooting splits 52 40 80 off the top of my head (laughs) like i'm sorry i did not think of that but what i'm saying is like i think i think you saw that type of player and that was his junior year so mm-hmm. like you're saying, Metcalf, he was older. I think a lot of people didn't see the quickness, and you're like, uh, I don't know if he's got that upside to make it the next level, which just happens a lot with older collegiate yep. point guards. They just don't adjust to the speed of the game. His first two years in the NBA with the Mavericks, like rookie year he plays 21 minutes a game, 9.3 points. Second year he plays 17.9 minutes a game, 8.2 points. Then they finally – are start to uptick the minutes because he's starting to find his groove. He he averages 12.6 points per game as a third year player and 25 minutes last year up to 16.3 with shooting splits of 50, 37 and 84. So, I mean, it just with guys like that, like teams got to be patient with them and and they've finally find their groove. And I think that's what happened with Brunson. And you saw that he figured it out. With Nova, I think the smart organizations were like, hey, let's just be patient. Like we always say, wait three years, reevaluate. His third year, he really started to find his groove. And now Knicks fans are going to hope that he's uh, putting one of those numbers up in the rafters one day. Too soon? No, not too soon. (laughs) We're we're, we're there. Too soon. All right. Well, just a a couple other honorable mentions of, you know, success stories or guys who – are close to becoming a success story. Uh, Wendell Carter Jr. is really starting yes. to come into his own. Uh, Mo, Bob, Mo Bamba maybe turning a corner here, maybe. Um, Michael Porter Jr., I mean, he's incredible, but is a big question mark heading into the draft is health. Uh, hopefully he can stay healthy here for you know the next however many years. 
Um, and then Kevin Herter, Anthony, Anthony Simons, Mitchell Robinson, and even guys like Jared Vanderbilt, Gary Trent, who have all turned into just really quality NBA players. It, it really was amazing to go through this class and you got into the later picks and you're like, man, there's, there's guys everywhere. Anthony Simons, um, Landry Shamit. I, I still, his career has just been fascinating, but I yeah. loved him coming out of Wichita state. Um, Chandler Brunson goes 33rd, Devonte Grant 34th, Mitchell Robinson 36th, Gary Trent Jr. 37th, um, Vanderbilt 41st, Bruce Brown 42nd, um, DeAnthony Milton 46th. Like it's just crazy all over the place. Um, Shake Milton 54th. Like it's a really crazy draft. Um, there's even some guys that like didn't go drafted that Duncan I watched Robinson, the, yeah, Jay Sean Tate. Um, Alonzo Trier had a moment. You, Utah Wantanabe is, you know, sticking on that rosters team. Um, it, it was wild how much kind of talent it stuck around for, even if it was just a couple seasons. There was a lot of guys here too, that I watched playing the G league that I thought were going to click and, and stick on an NBA roster. And they never did. Um, I loved Cameron Reynolds, um, lefty sharpshooter, spent some time with Stockton, Kings, he's bounced around. Kendrick Nunn, um, Dante Matten out of Georgia. I thought he was going to be great. Haywood Highsmith still grinding, trying to make it. I mean, Brandon Goodwin's had a cup of coffee. Wendon Gabriel's had a cup of coffee. It's just crazy. It, it really yeah. is crazy looking back and seeing a lot of these names. Um, you mentioned Jay Sean Tate, right? Sorry. Yep. I'm just all over the place. Like, I didn't see this undrafted list earlier. Now I'm looking at it. I'm like, man, just everywhere there was there was just guys everywhere so it's just really uh, jock londell another undrafted guy that he just i think i think he got traded to the suns so i mean he could play um but yeah metcalf are we are we denying the inevitable because i feel like this redraft is going to be a real vicious cycle we are we 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 got a couple more to touch on um just to, to kind of further expound upon how impressive this draft was you know when we look back and you know they're always it's tough to label them disappointments but it's unfortunately what they kind of end up being they're really only three from this lottery that i think kind of qualifies that and that's kevin knox jerome robinson and marvin bagley who we already talked about have you know potentially having a second chance at life here with with the pistons who and you know we both are pretty optimistic about that situation for him what he does with it We'll find out. Um, but were there any kind of big disappointments or where were you at with Kevin Knox, Jerome Robinson, any of those guys? Robinson was a guy I got kind of intrigued with as the evaluation process went on. And he went to the Clippers and I remember being like, that's going to work. I, I I was just convinced like, okay, that I think that's going to work. And then it didn't. And I was like, oh, annoying. Like, okay, I guess it just didn't work. Um, I liked Troy Brown a ton out of Oregon. And I was shocked that didn't work. Knox. Knox was funny because I was just so scared. And I wasn't really a fan. And then I was like, oh, I hope I'm wrong. And when I was running backcourt and trying to post like clips all the time on Twitter, I once posted like a... Kevin Knox looked outstanding at summer league, uh, blah, blah, blah. Like finished this game with blah, blah, blah. And someone just ripped me apart. <laughs> like it, it was the funniest thing. Cause I was like the one 
time I've ever been positive about Kevin Knox and someone just jumped on me like a damn like lion attacking a, a field of prey. And I was like, all right, I guess that's my Kevin Knox experience. But, um, you know, I learned my lesson. Stick to your gut. But what about you, Metcalf? Yeah, and earlier I mentioned how my my Trey Young evaluation was skewed by public perception. My my Kevin Knox one definitely was just in oh, the, yeah. the wrong direction. And I didn't like Knox at all um, that season. <laughs> um, Kevin, but- you want to come on the pod talk about it? Or- <laughs> I, I, I just didn't get it because all these people were like, oh, God, this guy sh- could be top five. I'm like, in what world is this guy a top five player in this draft? And I ended up with him at 14. Um, and so much of, you know, that was probably six or seven spots higher than I really wanted to put him. And a lot of it was because there are so many names saying how impressed they were with him. I just the opening line of my write up for him is Knox is an intriguing prospect whom I've struggled to properly project. And it was like, I don't know what's going to happen with this guy. And it was me just hedging my bets of, I don't really like him, but a lot of people seem to. So obviously we never root against guys. Um, yes. I, I don't, I think he was another situation where that's not the bet. That wasn't the best landing spot for him, where if he goes to, you know, maybe there are 10 team, ten other teams in the league where if he went there, they would have been a more stable situation that could have really taken their time developing him. And just going to New York, it's it's tough. It's the same thing with L.A. It, exactly what Metcalf said. Just because we say we didn't like him, that doesn't mean we don't like these guys. We're just saying, like, I didn't like him as a top 10 pick. I have this written down from way long ago. I guess I was actually smart once. I was like, teams will most likely have Knox closer to the top 10, but I think he's more worth the 15 to 18 range. The G League could be a big benefactor to his future. I don't feel wrong about any of that. I I think a guy going top 10, like he was raw. He needed time. He goes to New York. They needed him to be a guy right away. He wasn't ready to be a guy right away. He needed some development. He needed to have a team be like, we're not in any hurry. You got the yep. long, long road ahead. And, you know, we have our misses. We have our hits. I'm not saying that was a hit. I had him 15th. Like, I just, I liked him later in the draft. I thought if you got Kevin Knox at 15 or 16, that would have been a worthy roll of the dice because there was some serious upside, maybe less pressure to come in and and really make an impact right away. But, um, you know. Sometimes we're smart, but I liked them. I just didn't like them in the top 10. That's exact. I like all the prospects. I fucking love this shit. We all love it. That's why we do it. But I didn't like them in the top 10. Yeah. And so since this was my first draft guide and uh, I, I have actual numbers to place on there to go back to with some of these guys, I, I have to eat some humble pie. So here are some of my uh, biggest misses. Oh. Um, Guys, I was too low on uh, SGA uh, at 15, Trey Young at 9, Jalen Brunson at 34. Um, I had uh, two others were Anthony Simons and Mitchell Robinson, who I had just outside the first, I think, uh, 30 for Mitchell Robinson and 31 for Anthony Simons. Um, I, you know, my, my only saving grace there is that both those guys were really big unknowns um, at the time and have developed into really good players uh guys i was way too high on uh jacob evans i thought was going to be really solid uh melvin frazier out of tulane i really liked him i and liked melvin a lot i was proud of you yikes proud of you. um 
yeah, I, I, I had him at 18. Not, not great. Um, <laughs> Evan Knox was, you know, we, we talked about, and then my, my big miss, uh, Kyrie Thomas at 13. I, I still believe I, I refuse to, uh, admit defeat on that, but I, I, I adored Kyrie Thomas. I liked Kyrie. I had him as a first round guy. Um, I mean, this board, I, I swear I had a different board with that would have made way more fun of myself, but I had like Chandler Hutchinson was a guy I thought was just going to figure it out. He was going to be a stud. I had him at like 18. Yeah. I had a run. Here's, here's how good this run was. I had 15 Kevin Knox, 16 Zaire Smith, 17 Troy Brown, Chandler Hutchinson at 18. Zan and Musa at 19. Oh, I like that's Zana. how it's yeah, that's how it's done, folks. And then my next uh three were Simons, D'Anthony Milton, Shake Milton, which I feel good about all of those. Yeah. Bruce Brown at 24. I'm proud of that still. Um, but yeah, I mean cool. I don't even know if I was really uh trying to make a because I also randomly just stopped at 42. I just thought 42 was a good number to stop why, stop yeah, at. Why, so why would it um yeah, I mean, makes a lot of sense. But let's do this, Metcalf. Let's get angry. Yeah. Let's let's get a little vicious. You know, we're an hour twenty in. This is what the people came for. This is why everyone's yelling at me to do timestamps is so they could fast forward to the redraft. I know. I read you guys like a book. I know what you want to do before you even do it. So let's party. Let's get weird. Yeah. Okay. So um, there was a lot of draft day craziness with the trades uh, that yes. went on. Uh, we are going to ignore those and go based on where they were. Pre-trade. So Atlanta's third. So Atlanta's picking third. Dallas Beautiful. is picking fifth. Uh, the Clippers are picking 12th and 13th and the Hornets are picking 11th. Beautiful. So, um, I let you go first last time. I'm yeah, going first go this first. time. Luca. Easy. Should have oh, What then. an upset. No, yeah, I'm I kidding. Know. I just... um, yeah. If we didn't do that, they'd probably ban us from YouTube and the internet. <laughs> Luca might show up at our door. All right, John number Wick. two, Kings. Who are you going? Kings. I'm uh, I'm taking Trey Young. Okay. Yep. Taking Trey. Interesting. Okay. Would have uh, been, well, been a good switch. Well, interesting. Interesting. Give me a break. Come on. <laughs> Give me a break. Interesting. And I know who you're gonna take after and i probably would have taken him the two it's luca and trey come on and i love deandre eight but it's luca and trey all right uh number three for the hawks i'm gonna take uh shea Giltis alexander wow we had the same one two three i'm proud of you okay um, I, I had shea too but yes we had we had the it was just splitting hairs um just preference with the size um but and I, I, i'm not trying to undermine anything trey young has done he is i, ups- I could have done that I could have done that, but I'm still going with Trey. I, I'm, you know, I love it. Yeah. I love SGA. I'm not still sleeping on him, but, um, you know, Trey. Who you got? Stop rushing me. Okay. Um, I'm taking it. I'm taking Aiden at four. Okay. I know. And I know what you're going to do and I don't like it, but go ahead and do it. What? Five Dallas. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I know what you're going to do. Just get it over with. Rip it off. Do, it's a do, do, do it I off. go with the heart or the? Do I go with my heart or my brain? Both, because they should both be the same answer. Fuck okay, it. I'm going to switch up my rankings. I'm going to go. Curtis. Oh no! What are you doing? No, I can't do it. I'm going Jaron Jackson. Wow. Uh, okay. All right. Okay. All right. 
Mark this day, July 26th, 627 p.m. As Tyler Metcalf, I started to worry about his brain. All right. Um, oh, that was years so, ago. Yeah. I mean, you know, be part of the right. No Ceilings group chat for an hour. You'll, you'll learn a lot about yourself. <laughs> um, Number six, the magic. Who you got? I'm taking who you should have taken. I'm taking Michael Bridges. Yeah. I like my yeah. team already. My, my draft hall might get me an extension already. That was a good joke, guys. Well, yeah. well, just think about it. Um, <laughs> seven Chicago Bulls. Now we're gonna get we're gonna get a little crazy. I have a feeling. Yeah, the this next these next seven names I've moved around way too many times. Um, I'm gonna go Robert Williams. Wow, I had him there. Okay, gosh, that's a good pick. That's why this is it. where I'm gonna get ugly. Oh, I thought you did that two picks ago. No, I t- <laughs> grow up, Peter Pan. Um, <laughs> Cavaliers. I don't like it, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to take Michael Porter Jr. Okay. I don't feel great about it, Metcalf. How do you feel about it? Um, so I, I'll I stay had with it. it. I'll stay with it. I'm not going to change it. Just, just you know. Yeah, I, he he was therapy. right in that range for me. Um, I had him at ten on my list, and it's it's because of the injuries. It, it's yeah. really it, and it's like, can we really trust this guy to play? And you know, through no fault of his own. He just has some really shitty injuries. So talent wise, he, you know, probably should be top five or six on this list. Um, but when you can't play kind of hard to take it higher. So I, I, I don't hate it. Who'd you take at nine? And then I'll bring up my point at nine. I'm going to uh, go Anthony Simons. Whoa. All right. Okay. Great. All right. Wow. Um, what's your point? I thought the next guy you were going to take is I am still the biggest. I'm going to take him at 10. So I'll just talk about it now. I'm still the biggest, uh, Colin Sexton fan. So interesting. Okay. I thought about taking him still at eight to Cleveland because I, I think he's, I think he's a dog young bull. I I still really, really like him. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, like the first couple of years, he was rolling in the second half of the year, the post all-star break, all-star game break. Yeah, whatever. You know what I'm trying to say? The splits were really impressive. So I was yeah. like, okay, time to put the full year together. Like, and I think he's gotten better. I think he's feisty. I love him and Garland. I still think, you know, they were cooking last year when he was healthy, got hurt. I, I'm still really excited to see what happens. It's really weird. No one's tried to sign, but um, yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm going to take him to the Sixers at 10 because I feel better about who I originally had penciled in there not being selected. So um, <laughs> if everyone understands where I'm going with that. 11, Charlotte. All right, uh, I'm going to go Bronson. It's a pretty good pick. It's a pretty good pick, folks. Um, 12, so we got Clippers here back-to-back at 12 and 13. <laughs> You know, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna take someone that might shock a little. I, I was really, really high on him. We briefly talked about him. I'm gonna take Wendell Carter still. Yeah, I really. Yeah, I, I almost thought about taking him earlier. He's another guy I just absolutely adored his college film. I don't know if it was because I watched Bagley and then watched Wendell Carter, and it was just the opposites. But I loved his feel. I loved his footwork. Um, I still think, you know, he's in 
for a big year. I, I'm really excited yeah. to see what he does. Yeah, I, I, I think that I, I, it may have been the athletic or someone else who, who coined this, but they were like, I, I think that is no longer the Vucevic trade, and it is quickly becoming the Wendell Carter Jr. trade. Um, I, Orlando made out well in that trade, and I, Very I he's, well. he's really coming into his own, and I think uh, he's going to make life really easy for Paolo on the defensive end. I think so. I think he's also perfect for. I feel like when he got drafted to Chicago, they tried to, they tried to put a, 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 a square block into a circle hole. If you understand what I'm trying to say, just no, that was super smooth. You nailed that. Gosh, man. (laughs) For everyone listening, I had to deal with a lot of home adult stuff. As I hinted in the beginning of the podcast, I'm still rattled. So they just tried to kind of, experiment with him being the five and the four with Lori. That's when yeah. they had both of them. And I was like, you can't do that. You got to at least just be like, okay, this is it. I'm excited to watch him next Apollo. I think it's like, put him there, cement him as the five, have some reassurance behind Paulo. I really, really am excited to see um, what he can do. You know, who were we talking about earlier? We we're like, Oh, Oh, Bagley. Ironically enough. Yeah. We were talking about Bagley. Like, Hey, you got to a new team. Might change his career. Same thing with Wendell. So I'm, I'm excited to see 13 Clippers go. I just went on my rant. Kevin Herter. Good, Metcalf. Proud I of you. Love Kevin Herter. And I love that the Kings got him. I, I think he's going to be so good there. Little red velvet action for <laughs> Metcalf on a Tuesday night. Um, Wednesday, if you're listening to this in the morning. Please go to noceilingsnba.com. Subscribe. I'm stalling as long as I can because Metcalf's edgy about being over an hour and a half on a podcast. <laughs> okay. Um, 14, ironically enough, the Denver Nuggets. I drafted uh, I drafted Bruce Brown. Whoa. Yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm telling you right now, I know I'm not going upside. I know I'm not going, like, crazy. A lot of people would have made the case for – you know, oh, well, who who got eliminated from my board? There's a clear guy I'm not drafting. Sorry, not putting him in my top 14. Yeah, no, that we yeah we didn't talk about him for. A yeah, reason. we're not talking about him. Sorry, I'm not doing it. Um, Gary Trent Jr. is a name I could have put on there. Mitchell Robinson's a name I could have put on there. Yeah. Mo Bamba's a name I could have put on there. I know, I understand everything. I love Bruce Brown. I think he's become a incredibly valuable piece in the league. I think we saw it with Brooklyn. I think he's going to have an unreal year with Denver. I know the stats and the numbers aren't going to tell the whole story. I really do think like this is a guy that gets you to the next level. And I thought when Denver signed him, I was like, oh man, that might be an absolute steal of a signing in free agency. Now I know it's a little crazy at 14. People might say I'm nuts. I still love it. Still love it, Metcalf. Where would you, who would you have taken there? Um, I, I would have gone Mitchell Robinson. Yeah, um, I get it. Yeah, I, I I probably would have gone Jared Vanderbilt over him. Uh, Gary Trent. Um, well, why Vanderbilt over Brown? I mean, we're just talking now. Like, because I think the idea of both of them is what I think we're on the same mindset of like why yeah. why we value them so highly. Because I think you can't win titles unless you have a guy like Vanderbilt or Brown. I almost had Vanderbilt going here. Um, I didn't have Anthony in my first top 14. I should have had him. So I had Mitchell higher, but um, 
also had another guy there that while you were talking, I was like, I'm not, I'm not talking about him. I don't care. No room for that. Um, yes. I mean, the, the reason I'd lean Vanderbilt is basically just kind of the size. Um, I, I think those four or five extra inches, uh, for sure. Do, yeah. Do, do a lot. Um, but, and they are similar players, uh, except Bruce Brown's three took a, a meaningful jump this last season. And if that's sustainable for him going forward, that's going to be huge in Denver. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I also just kind of fell in love with Jared Vanderbilt uh, these last two seasons in Minnesota. Um, and just some of the, the defensive capabilities that he showed were really absurd. Um, and just an insane work rate, uh, rebounding rate uh, on both ends of the floor. He created he creates so many extra possessions with just his tenacity and, you know, ability to hunt down loose balls. I for sure, like you, you were hyping me about Vanderbilt all year. I started watching him. I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm a sucker for those guys. Like the hustle guys they are like, I don't need to score. I'll figure it out. I'll make an impact some way. Yeah. And then I still have some PTSD of like, even though the Celtics swept the nets, Bruce Brown had some games where I was like, Fuck. This dude's hitting threes now. Like, he, <laughs> yeah. I just feel like he guards multiple positions. He can play multiple positions. If that outside shot is coming along, like you said, like he showcased in the playoffs, that is a weapon. Cause you can just be like, Bruce, we need, or we need a three who could come in and play the, the backup part or small forward. And it's like, Bruce Brown can do it. He could yeah. play the two. He, I mean, they were playing him with the damn four sometimes. Like, he's just one of those guys that he's just a, he's just a thorn in your feet. You keep walking. Yeah, and and he was, damn. He was a lot of fun at Miami mm-hmm. too. Yes. He was a really good player. Um, I'm not sure if he was a five star, but I think he was a top 100 recruit um, at the least. And he he used to be able to shoot, and then he had that shoulder injury. I think yes. going into his senior year, that it was similar to kind of faults, where it just the shot vanished. It went away because of a shoulder injury. So I'm really hoping that it comes back because that could really change his kind of career outlook. And obviously we're not talking about Steph Curry shooting. We're talking about PJ Tucker from the corner shooting. Yeah. If he can, and obviously PJ Tucker's perfected that almost, but if, if he can fulfill that type of role, then I just, his overall, you know, impact as a player elevates so much. Yeah. I mean, you looked at me like I had three heads when I said it, but I, I still think, him or Vanderbilt, I would have been 100% with. Mitchell Robinson, 100% with. Um, it's just, it's, it, it really was a fun class. I know we went yeah. lengthy with this one, but this deserved the time. Um, I'm excited for future ones, but um, it's, it's a good redraft, Metcalf. That's a good squad, you know? Yeah, this was a lot of fun. Uh, next week, we will be back and talking about the U-17 Fever recap. And the week after, we will do, be doing a recap on Peach Jam. Um, so make sure to check those out. But Rucker, tell the people where they can find you. Um, yeah, this was a blast. I'm really excited for the FIBA U-17 stuff. Um, that's been me and Metcalf's homework assignment. I just got as blurry as possible for everyone on YouTube. <laughs> so you're just kind of seeing a shadow now. I'm all over the place. Um but I'm at nosailingsnba.com. You can find me at Twitter at Tyler underscore Rucker. I'm going to be having some some work coming up on the website. I've been working on this monster of a piece. Um, it's pretty much 
it's turned into its own monster. It's turned into pretty much like Stranger Things, all of the scary stuff from it. I'm trying to kind of, you know, steer it in the right direction, but it's getting a little nasty. But when that is ready, um, I will hint that OKC Thunder fans, you should be very excited to read it. It's not just about Chet. But um, yeah, Metcalf, thanks for thanks for doing this. Um, I'm really enjoying these. It's given me some excitement to count down the days. I I, I can't help myself. I'm already watching 2023 film. I mean, I, I, me- I messaged you the other day, like, hey, what do you think of this guy? And I'm like, Tyler Rucker, it's <laughs> July 26th. You need to pump the brakes. But, you know. Can't help it. You get, we got to turn it up another level this year. Level one complete. Time for level two. Exactly. Well, once again, I'm Tyler Metcalf. You can follow me on Twitter at tmetcalf11. Uh, you can find all of our merchandise at noceilingsnba.bigcartel.com. You can find all of our written work at noceilingsnba.com. Just hit that subscribe button while you're there to ensure that you see everything that gets published. It is 100% free. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at noceilingsnba, where we have some really cool projects um, that's pretty different from what we did this last season. Uh we have some stuff in the works that we're really excited about um, coming up. So make sure to keep an eye out for that. And you can follow us and watch this podcast on No Ceilings TV on YouTube. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and a five-star rating. Until next time, see ya.